In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and beginning with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about issues that affect all our lives and put them on the table here and talk about how to navigate life in the light of faith. Today we have a guest with us, Father Vincent Lambert, who is um, who was ordained a priest for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis in 1991. He serves as the pastor of St. Michael and St. Peter parishes in Brookville, Indiana. In 2005, he was appointed the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He received his training in Rome and is a member of the International Association of Exorcists. He's here today to talk to us about a new book that's coming out titled Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons. And we know this is an issue, a very weighty issue that is always in the back of the mind of every true believer who takes seriously the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist and goes out and tries to live our try to live our lives and navigate our way through the temptations and the oppressions from demons. And so today we want to just be able to talk about this with Father Lampert the expert on exorcism. Welcome to our podcast, Father. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, thank you, Father Lampert. And uh, I always like to ask the for an author of a book, what what inspired you to to write this? What what is the context of? I, I I think it's an intriguing topic for a lot of people, and I'd be interested to know what prompted you to write this book. I would say that uh, many exorcists are unknown. Some of us are publicly known. And since my name has been out since I was appointed since in back in 2005, I've had many requests to give presentations and talks. So the purpose of the book was really to put out there information about what the church actually teaches about the reality of evil, the person of the devil, and how the church and her ministry of exorcism approaches the topic to help those who are up against the forces of evil. So it's really meant to be an educational resource to help people understand what it is the church actually believes and teaches. Very good. I uh, have to say that I am not well versed in the whole world of exorcism as a bishop. I've, I'm trying to learn more and paying attention to the reality of evil and to the work of Satan and his demons. Um, it's my impression, Father, that exorcists were we're sort of in the shadows until relatively recently, and 
maybe people didn't even know who was the exorcist in a diocese. Is that accurate, or is that just apocryphal information I've gathered somewhere along the way? <laughs> well, Bishop, you're right. They used to be very secretive, but in the world of technology, if you give an interview with one person or a presentation, before you know it, somebody has put it on YouTube or broadcast <laughs> it out there. Yeah, That's kind of how my name ended up in the public forum. And then I've never really shied away from the fact because, you know, if you keep something too much of a secret, then it shrouds it in, I don't know, too much focus on the devil, if you will, because in an exorcism, the main focus is on the power of God who is liberating his people from the devil and his demons. So, again, I like to talk about the topic because it's really not focusing on the devil, but again, focusing on the power of God. And I think that's something that so many people in the in the world today need because faith seems to be in decline. Mm -hmm. And I believe that talking about the ministry of exorcism can be a tool to help bring people back to a relationship with God, one that is truly meaningful. I really appreciate that, Father. And uh, I, I completely agree um, with St. Jerome is well known for saying that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And if you look at the Gospels, there's, I haven't counted it up, but there's significant moments when Christ is dealing with demons. And I think that that's something to just pay attention to right there so that it it normalizes it in a sense that it's not some, you know, murky, dark area that nobody really talks about. But the Savior of the world is walking among us and he was dealing with demons, and I think that that's something for people who may be really frightened or just concerned or sort of pass it off as uh, superstitious, that if you really look at the gospel stories, it's not unusual for Christ to be either speaking uh, of, against demons or actually interacting with them. And we know that they, some of them talk back to him. And uh, from what I've read, that's what happens when when you encounter demons, they do use the, the, the voice of a person to, to speak. Um, and so I, I think that's important for people that may be watching to, to really remember that this isn't some, you know, sort of off-the-wall idea that a few people are, are focused on, but it comes right out of the Gospels. I mean, Jesus himself, the Lord of light, is dealing with the darkness that, that demons are involved in. Yes, and Jesus clearly makes a distinction between those who needed physical healing and those who needed demons to be cast out. And because Jesus made the distinction, the church today still needs to make that distinction as well. Sometimes you'll hear people say that Jesus wasn't casting out demons. He knew that these people were suffering from some type of physical ailment or mental illness, but he was just playing up to the sentiment of the day. But I certainly believe that that's reading too much into the scriptural text. Again, if Jesus makes a distinction between demonic possession and physical illness, then we as a church today still need to make that distinction. And the ministry is just as relevant today as it was back during the time of Christ. Yeah, I, I remember studying, I, like I took a course on angels and demons when I was at Holy Apostles College and Seminary, 
And it just blew my mind to realize that you're really never in a room or out walking. You're never really alone, that there these spirits are around you all the time. We and just celebrated the archangels yes. and guardian angels and are coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And th- I mean, could you explain to us, Father, how the demons and how devil, the devil operates in the world? Like, Because um, I remember when I was learning about it, I had a question, you know, can, the difference between temptation and oppression and possession versus them actually being able to control our thoughts against our will. Could you explain how the demons operate in the world? Yes, the demons operate what the church calls extraordinary demonic activity and ordinary demonic activity. Ordinary activity of the devil would be temptation, something that we can all deal with on a daily basis. So demons can watch and observe us, you know, with their intellectual character. They can deduce what we might be thinking, how we might act and they might send certain temptations our way in order to trip us up on the path to holiness and virtue. The Church does recognize four different types of extraordinary demonic activity. Demonic infestation, the presence of evil in a location or in an object. Demonic vexation, which are physical attacks that someone receives from a demon. It could be cuts or bites or bruises on a person's body. There can be demonic obsession, which are mental attacks. So someone has persistent thoughts of evil running through their mind, and they simply cannot turn that off. And then there's demonic possession, whereby the devil or one of his demons will take control of a person's body, treating that person's body as if it were its own, such as using their mouth to speak, their hands to give gestures, their feet to walk, and so on. It's interesting, Father, that you use the word battle in the subtitle of your book. Um, talk a little bit. I, I totally agree. I think it. we are, we have been, but especially now, it seems like the battle is sort of increasing. Um, talk a little bit about why that word choice and, and what it means to say that we are in a battle against Satan and his demons. You know, I think right now we're experiencing an escalation in the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, because faith seems to be in decline in the lives of so many people. Recent studies suggest that up to like 75% or more of Catholics who, who have been baptized between the ages of 18 and 35 now have abandoned the faith or no longer believe in God, profess to be atheists. So you can see people that are turning away from God, and as a result, they're making themselves more susceptible to the forces of evil. I always say that faith in God will lead us in one direction, and the lack of faith will lead us in another. And because faith is in decline in the lives of far too many people, it does seem to be that the devil is getting the upper hand. Also, I believe that it's not that there's Uh, you know, a greater presence of evil in the world today, per se, but it's just the fact that far too many people are willing to play the devil's game. So the devil hasn't upped his game, but more people are willing to play it simply because their faith in God, their relationship with Christ, is not where it needs to be. Yeah, and what occurs to me, Father Lampert, and I'd like your comments to, you know, if if you disagree, please say so, but 
it occurs to me that I think a lot of people just say, well, I'm just going to stay on the fence. I'm going to kind of stay neutral in regard to good and evil. And I don't think that's really realistically possible. If you aren't seeking virtue and seeking the good and seeking to eliminate sin from your life and you're just sort of staying in neutral, I think that opens the door more for sin and temptation and evil to just get a a stronger and stronger foothold. I mean, I know probably all of us could bemoan some of the things that have happened in the culture since we were kids. Um, And, you know, some of that is, is something we, I think we really have to pay attention to because we can tend to sort of get desensitized just what's on television, what is on commercials now in all kinds of different settings, you know, a medication or whatever they're advertising, there are things on commercials now that my parents would have said, turn that off, you know, turn off the television if that's going to be there. And we've become, and I admit I've become somewhat desensitized to the language, to a lot of the things in the culture. I'd like to to hear your comment, do you agree that it really isn't possible humanly to just sort of ride the fence and say, I'm not going to choose good or evil? I think what we tend to do is if we don't really choose good actively, evil starts getting more of a foothold. Absolutely. And I think Jesus has something to say about being lukewarm, you know, be hot or be cold, but lukewarm spit you out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's a good He does point. want us to make a commitment and to make the choice for him. When you look at society today, you were talking about a lot of, you know, things on television. I look at those things and they're catechetical in nature. They're teaching the culture today a message, but it's certainly not a message that's rooted in God. I believe that a lot of people today are living by three guiding principles that really echo the fall of humanity there in the book of Genesis. And those three ways of thinking are, you may do whatever you wish, nobody has the right to command you, and you're the God of yourself. And that mentality is just really removing God from society. And I'm mindful mindful of um, Pope Benedict, during the economic crisis back, what, about 10, 15 years ago, when he said that the economic crisis was a symptom of a greater crisis, namely that God no longer had his rightful place in society. And I think we're still very much in that same world today that because God doesn't have his rightful place, the devil is getting the upper hand and getting a foothold into the lives of a lot of people. Yeah, Father Lampert, if I could ask you a question um, that, that's always on my mind. I'm a mother of seven and a grandmother of six, um, and everything I learn about our beautiful Catholic faith, I'm always thinking about how that applies to parents and children. And I have I have four of mine are teenagers right now, girls, and um, <laughs> that always gets a chuckle. <laughs> They're lovely. Um, but what— you know, in in the context of everything we're talking about in a very abstract, big cultural way, where the where the boots meet the road, so to speak, or the rubber meets the road, what's that phrase? Rubber meets the road. <laughs> With, 
how do we help our children? So, you know, as what I guess what I'm saying is as teenagers become more autonomous and independent, even though they've been raised in the faith, they start to ask questions. They start to challenge things. They even start to, if, if you, I've found if you've been a very faithful family, one of the ways they'll rebel is to say they're going to reject the faith because they know that's something that's very important. Um, and navigating all of that, and I, I'm speaking for a lot of parents because I, I talk about faith and science a lot, and I hear about this all the time. Um, what can parents do, parents of older kids who are starting to think for themselves, what, what can we do to protect our children? Obviously pray, but is there more advice there? Like how do we protect them from demons? Well, I think one of the things for parents to do is to learn where your children are getting their information. So where are they, you know, being taught, if you will? Because again, a lot of things out on social media, on the internet, all that technology, there is a catechetical component to all of that. And I think it's important for parents to be aware of who's trying to teach their children a message that goes contrary to the message of faith that they've been brought up with. Because there's a lot of folks out there that certainly want the next generation to have nothing to do with God. And I think there's a demonic component to that. Because when God is taken out of the equation... You know, I think the human person, we lose our sense of identity. You know, I, I love the comment, you know, St. Augustine, you know, our hearts are restless, the Lord, until they rest in you. And if the human person doesn't have that relationship with God, we're always going to be struggling for ultimate meaning and purpose. Absolutely. Uh, I fully agree with that. And that's one of my favorite St. Augustine quotes as well. I think that one of the things I try to emphasize as a bishop of a diocese and as I speak and give homilies is to remember that Christ Christ tells us he came that our joy might be full. Um, And I think that when we get caught up in some of the things that, you know, those various levels of ordinary or extraordinary demonic activity, I think there's a lot going on that really, I would say, just sucks the joy out of people's lives, and especially teenagers. We -hmm. see a lot of despair. We see a lot of suicide. We see a lot of turning to drugs and turning to other uh, abuses of themselves because the joy it's like the joy has just been sucked out of their lives. And it goes back to, as you mentioned, Father, literally goes back to Genesis where the temptation of Satan and the form of a snake causes Adam and Eve to say, well, we'll be God ourselves and we'll Mm -hmm. take charge. And once you take that step, then the joy, it's still available, but it's like it gets coated over with the the darkness and the dust of of evil. Um, And I think it's important to, to help everyone from cradle to grave to to really see that the Lord wants us to know his joy, certainly even in this life, but in, in eternal life, uh, ultimately. And there's so much lack of joy in people's lives, even though they may have a lot that the world measures as riches, material wealth doesn't bring joy. I mean, we see that constantly. 
And I think we need to remember that, you know, as, as we deal with the realities of evil, that that restless heart seeking God is seeking that joy that becomes a foundation for living every day with hope and with the light of Christ guiding us. I would agree with that completely, because if you look at today's world where God seems to have been removed, is the world more joyful today? And I would say absolutely not. You look at all the, yeah. the bickering and the division in society today, there's such a great lack of joy. And I think that's directly related to the fact, again, that we do not give God his rightful place. So even in the ministry of exorcism, the focus, again, is on bringing God back into the mainstream of people's lives. I like to say that, you know, the average person, if they're dealing with the ordinary activity of the devil, they just have to live out the normal aspects of our Catholic faith. If you're going to Mass, you're praying, you're going receiving the sacraments, going to confession, receiving the Eucharist, the devil's already on the run. We don't have to do anything extraordinary. Again, it's the ordinary aspects of our faith that will keep the devil at bay. Um, that's, that's a great point, and I, I hope that people that are watching this uh, as it's broadcast, that, that a lot of people probably need to hear that, because I think, and I'm sure you deal with it, Father, that the topic exorcism, the battle against Satan and demons, it can be very frightening to people. Um, and I think what you just said is very important to just remind people that ordinary living of the faith, which is extraordinary, if you think about it, it's supernatural grace that is offered to us. Um, but just going to confession, going to Mass regularly, praying, uh, taking some time to remember God in your life, that scares Satan to death. <laughs> and I think that that's important to for people to be reminded of. It's not like you've got to take on some, you know, super holiness, but just be ordinary, virtue-seeking Christians, disciples of Jesus. Yes, we're sinners. We all are. But I think the, the more our hearts are seeking God, I think that's a great message for people to really hear. Simply seeking God puts us, gives us a lot of protection against Satan and his demons. Yeah, and to put that in terms for parents, that's why you need to raise your kids in the faith. That's why you need to get your children in the habit of going to Mass regularly every Sunday with the family and praying together, because as they do get older and start to rebel against things, those are going to be their, their bedrocks, their foundations that they'll come back to when their little lives seem to spin out of control. Father Lampert, what, what do we do if we suspect that there is the presence of the demonic in, in your family, in your life, somewhere? What, what does a Catholic do? I think a person's parish priest should be the first line of contact. Again, because that's where, you know, the parish is where people really live out the faith. It's like if you're sick, you know, you don't call a specialist right away. You call your family doctor. So if one believes they're experiencing any type of presence of evil or the demonic in their lives, just to go and talk to their parish priest. And then the parish priest can listen. He can pray with the people. He perhaps can hear their confession. Maybe they need the anointing of the sick. 
again, the parish priest has at his disposal these great, you know, gifts that the church gives to the church, you know, the sacramental life of the church. And then if the parish priest believes there's really something maybe of an extraordinary nature involved, then he can refer it to the local bishop or the priest in the diocese that's been charged with investigating these matters. But again, one should always go to their parish priest, because even if it's something extraordinary, and say an exorcism is performed, the person will be placed back into the pastoral care of their local priest. So he does need to be involved from the very beginning. Uh, great advice. Thank you, Father. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, you know, we're as we're talking about all of this, highlighting the emphasis, you know, live live a life of faith, participate in the sacraments, celebrate the sacraments regularly, pray without ceasing. Um, I, I tend to look at prayer as like putting your shield up that as long as you're praying, your shield is up. It's like, you know, in the, the superheroes, you see that invisible shield that goes <laughs> over the super. If you're praying, you have this invisible shield that will protect you from the demons who are flying around out there everywhere. Um, and and I, I, if you could say more about that, because I do sense sometimes, like if you get tired of praying or you feel like you can't pray, and you put your guard down even for a day and stop praying, it's almost like you can feel the attacks coming immediately. Is, is there something to that? There is. You know, I think Paul's letter to the Ephesians reminds us to always put on the armor of Christ. Psalm 91 reminds us, I need not fear the terror of the day, nor the arrow that flies at night, or no, the arrow that flies by day, the terror at night, simply because we are under God's protective care. And, you know, when we do let our defenses down, you know, the demons, they are around us. But again, they're nothing to fear as long as we are being spiritually strong. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for writing this book. Um, if someone wants to find out more about the, the book is not published yet, correct? It has been published. It just okay. it was uh, released on. Monday, September the 28th. Oh, okay. Ah, just in time for the archangels. Huh? Yeah. Yes. In fact, I was, here's a copy of the book. I have it oh, right here. Yes. And uh, I was at Franciscan University yesterday evening giving a talk to the students, and the book was released to the public at that time. Oh, wow. So very, good. very timely. Um, where can people find more about you and more about your work and more about the book? The book has been printed by uh, Emmaus Road Publishing, which is a part of the St. Paul Center affiliated with Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. You know, if people look up my name, you'll see there are a lot of YouTube uh, videos that have been put out there on presentations that I have given. So the Internet is a great place to find more information about myself and about the topic of exorcism and the book that's just come out. Yeah, in the book you outline um, the scriptural basis for demons, the teachings of the church, and and what Jesus had to say about it. So it's a it's a very useful resource for anyone who's maybe believes that there are demons and angels, but doesn't exactly know how to articulate what the church mm -hmm. says. 
And I would, I would, I would give this final thought. Perhaps is that, you know, in an exorcism, Jesus is not a bystander. Jesus is the main actor, who's acting through the church in the, you know, the person of the church's minister. I tell people, if we're relying on me, we're all in trouble. <laughs> but if we're relying on the power and the authority of Christ that He's given to the church, that's exactly where we need to be. Yeah, Father Lampert, that to me, that's truly a beautiful. Um, understanding to to present to the people because it reminds us as christ promised he is with us and he is still as he did in those gospel stories he is still helping people be freed from demons and from the the effects of evil i think that's a, a beautiful reminder that in your ministry as an exorcist it's the same as on the other side uh the side of sanctity when a priest celebrates Mass, it's, it's Christ who's coming to be there in transubstantiation, and the bread and the wine becomes his body and blood. So both are Christ working in the world as he promised. And I really thank you for your ministry. I'm sure it becomes challenging at times, but I think it's a very critical ministry, um, and hopefully your book will really help people to understand this is something real, not some myth that just a few people believe in, but it's part of reality, not to be frightened, but to be aware of the, the reality of evil and to turn to Christ. He's the Lord of all. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And I, I love the way you highlighted that. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you, Father Vincent. Lampert. Um, your book is Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And Bishop, if you could close us out with a blessing. Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for Father Lampert and all who assist him in his ministry of bringing good in the midst of evil and helping people deal with demons in whatever level they are struggling. That all people watching this podcast may be reminded of the power of good the power of Christ as he is still present in our world in the sacraments and his word and in the life of the church and each baptized person. Help us to trust in that power as we do seriously deal with the realities of evil that harm us, but always remembering that Christ has conquered Satan, death, and all the darkness, and his light pervades the world. We ask your blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.